everyone welcome to this week's episode of surf ascension my name is sharad and my name is grant and this is a podcast where we explore ideas and notions that we encounter (laughs) today on the podcast we brought in the two founders of bad for your health jack and nolan Bad for Your Health is an in-house design studio based in Champaign that takes inspiration from Japanese Americana style, but is so much more. The topics that we covered included how they look at consumer perceptions, their creative process, and being student entrepreneurs. We hope you enjoy. So what is Bad for Your Health? So Bad for Your Health is an in-house design studio and fashion label that Nolan and I co-founded our freshman year. So we're both advertising students. We actually met in advertising. Mm. I I just thought he looked interesting and like someone I would get along with. So Mm. I just approached him and we've kind of been best homies ever since. Meeting in advertising, I kind of like think that we united almost over entrepreneurial spirit and like kind of shared this idea that we wanted to start a business and we wanted to like have some sort of enterprise. And so, like, our background and interest in, like, both had a pretty sustained background and interest in fashion. Um, That kind of just blended. And Bad Fear Health actually kind of started as a multimedia outlet. So it was a group of friends, and we kind of all had our own respective mediums. Mm. And we would use kind of Bad Fear Health as a sort of, like, outlet to kind of give everyone a platform, which really doesn't make sense in retrospect (laughs) because we didn't have the following (laughs) to back that up at all. Mm. Um, And Nolan and I were screen printing t-shirts in my dorm room floor, basically on the floor because we didn't have a table or anywhere that we could like put a press at the time, Mm. Um, kind of doing small gilded batches, like 20 shirts. Um, And we kind of enjoyed doing that more than we did doing like the outlet coverage stuff. And um, so that's kind of what right then and there is like when the label kind of manifested into like strictly being a fashion label Um, and kind of over the course of three years, it's evolved to the point where, you know, we have six machines in house, a screen printing press, um, and a lot of, like, basically a lot of, like, seven hands and a lot of midnight oil, so, <laughs> um, yeah. Was that initially then, uh, were you guys making clothes before college then or before you started the screen print, or was that something that started as kind of a combination of you guys coming together and realizing that's something that you wanted to do and so go forward with? Both of us had, like, we both had, like, delved in and, like, kind of dipped our toes in, like, the water of, like, the fashion industry. I had a brand called Broke Boy, mm. um, which did not age well by any means. <laughs> I listened to the, the um, uh, I can't even remember, play the Playboy Cardi song. It was like, Broke Boy, Broke Boy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, and it's that's an how I started song. the brand, yeah. And um, Jack had experimented with his own brand called Trap Rat, and... Um, but I think the more important thing was both of us had like a little bit of knowledge in our own respective fields, whether it was like me, graphic design, or him, photography. So it kind of allowed us for like, kind of like a perfect little mesh of like creative minds in order to like start something like this and embark on this project. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which in retrospect was like not, like we didn't even like plan that. I remember when we were doing these like t-shirts, like we didn't, we weren't like, we're not gonna put a label on this. We're not gonna take it seriously. And then I think we kind of just came up with a name so good that we couldn't pass up on it. like. Hmm. And and where'd that come from? The name Bad for Your Health? Yeah. Uh, big fans of Akira. Um, mm. And in Akira, there's a motto, and it says, good for your health, bad for education. And um, we just, like, melded the words together, and we're just like, well, what if we called it Bad for Your Health? And uh, I think as soon as we heard it, we were like, that's it. Like, yeah. I, there was no discussion. We were like, yeah, it was it was on the screen. And, yeah. like, I think, like, it being burned into, like, one of the first Akira screens, 
um, kind of just like a motto is like, okay, this is burned in time yeah. now, and like we're running with this. Hmm. Yeah, which um, still hangs in the wall of our studio now, by the way. The original right? screen, the original yeah. screen. That's yeah. cool. Which we exposed mm. ourselves to. Looks like shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Looks terrible, but. but you know, yeah, meeting Nolan like and experiencing his graphic design background and like introducing my own ph photography background, it kind of like set up that perfect meld. And then, as soon as our first year of college like passed, COVID hits, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we kind of use that as an opportunity to like really sit down and learn like the technical craft as far as like sewing and making pieces. Um, just getting like our hands used to like working with these textiles and like creating something um, beautiful from borderline scratch. I think we'll get into a little bit more on the creative side of things a little bit later. So definitely curious about yeah. the techniques that you guys use and where you guys draw inspiration from in all things on that end. Uh, I think maybe a place to start with is uh, you guys mentioned earlier that you uh, look at consumer perceptions of clothes and you perceive them to be a certain way towards used clothes or clothes in general. Um, how have you kind of evaluated what consumers think of clothes and how is that informing your decisions about bad for your health? I think we have kind of a unique perspective when it comes to like how consumers perceive clothes and how um, we also perceive clothing. I think a lot of that has to do with the advertising industry and the advertising mm -hmm. curriculum that we've kind of like put ourselves in. Because like when you think about clothes as a form of self-expression, it is in a sense storytelling, right? And that's why I think it's so popular, like vintage clothing and secondhand clothing. They're, the reason there's a market for that is because people want access into somebody else's story. They want like the distressed jeans. They want um, the holes they want, the, the stains they want to be able to facilitate a story for anybody that's like kind of passing by. And in terms of how we kind of translate that through the tangible aspects of our brand being our products, um, we think of our clothing as stories. You know what I mean? When we're mending mm -hmm. um, a piece, it's like we think about it as preserving a story or embellishing upon it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that that ultimately kind of impacts how we perceive clothing in a broader sense. I think we tend to see clothing the same way that we would see a framed piece in an art museum. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so like clothing is art. And I think that a lot of people, because like things like fast fashion and stuff like that has kind of made uh, clothing so cheap and affordable and easily accessible that people don't have that association anymore, which tends to be reflected right. in their consumer habits when they're just like buying a ton of it. Because mm -hmm. um, it's just an easily replicatable source. Of right, like, no. Yeah. I'm just, I like the phrase clothing is art because, I mean, it, it really is, it right? Is. I think what you're getting at has kind of taken away from that, right, is fast fashion, obviously, but just the idea that people, kind of the, the idea of quality of clothes and, like, how to price clothes has been, like, deconstructed by all these, like, brands, right? Like, I mean, just, like, corporations in general, right? So, like... I think a question that we both have is how do you then find this balance, right? You want to make art, but at the same time, you are running a business as well, right? It, it, it functions as a business. And so, like, where's this medium between, between both things? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. So kind of, like, going back to just talking a little bit more about, like, slow craft and kind of slow fashion. So, like, a one-of-one -one piece, for example. Um, we're very intimate with these pieces. Like we spend a lot of time with these pieces and it, it the piece truly becomes a, an extension of ourselves and what our brand resembles. Um, and they're great advertising pieces. With that said, um, 
there's only one of them. And as far as like when you're trying to scale your brand and grow your brand, put your label on people's backs, um, it's really kind of difficult to kind of bootstrap the idea that you can produce one of ones on a consistent enough basis to where like next to all the other things that an organization, a business needs to grow, um, it's very difficult to like meet this balance. And I think there's ways you can approach this problem by like using manufacturing, but in a made to order sense, like using pre-orders. So you're not producing more, you're manufacturing goods and you're expanding your operation, but you're not going overboard on what isn't ultimately going to be purchased or dead stock. Mm. So is that then, are you guys thinking about the brand then as a creative? So probably, I guess, I would guess the answer would maybe be a little bit of both, but are you thinking about it as a creative expression or more so as a business, like a long-term business? Or how do you guys think about Bad For Your Health? I would say it's a form of self-fulfillment that we take as seriously as a business. Um, I don't think that, I think when Jack and I were approaching this, we never came at it from the aspect of like, okay, we need to make money on this. Mm -hmm. Like this is a form of self-expression at the end of the day. This is what um, we invest a lot of our time into because we just simply like love it. Mm -hmm. And uh, Uh, yeah, I think if you, sorry, kind of just interrupting you. I think like if you start a fashion label with the intent of making money, like you're kind of in for just like a rough surprise rough go yeah Yeah. or yeah Yeah. just like kind of depriving yourself creatively like that's the biggest root of the problem is like if you're in it to make money you're not in it for like the reason you're supposed to be in it for Mm -hmm. no yeah Um, and uh yeah no do you guys now feel then so back to that consumer perception idea do you guys feel like your brand is a way to change consumers perception about what clothing should be or as an art piece or how do you guys think about like, has that changed over time to have somewhat of a mission towards that? Or what, how do you guys think about what people think of clothes and your brand in relation to that? Or honestly, does it even affect the way yeah. that you go about making clothes? I think it makes it difficult. I think we're competing in an industry where it's mm. like people have these sort of mindsets and these and these associations with clothing. And I think that that's difficult as independent designers. There's a reason we preface Bad Fear Health as an in-house design studio above a fashion brand. Mm. It's because we do consider it design. Like it is a form of art in our eyes. And it's hard for people to justify a price tag that reflects art, but then is on clothing. You know what I mean? Like when they see a four hundred dollar piece of uh, piece of clothing mm-hmm. that two college kids made, it's it's hard to take it seriously. Um, so I think that we've experienced a little bit of challenge just in that respect. But I think that we do put a lot of time in sort of educating people because ultimately, like the perception of like clothing as art affects your consumer behavior and like how you interact with your purchases. I mean. Uh, just to get off topic a little bit, when you look at that like laptop case right there, mm-hmm. like somebody went to products like design school for that. Like somebody spent years of their life learning how to design these like laptop cases and like that in itself is a form of art and it's all around us. So if you start taking into consideration of like how much these material items are actually of value to those who made them, um, mm-hmm. they, it creates more value for yourself. Mm-hmm. And then like you stop having like 400 pieces of clothing in your closet and then you're like paying attention to the designers and then you're not supporting these companies that are stealing other people's work and, and yeah. I mean, I think I'm also now a little bit interested in, I guess, kind of two questions, right? My first one is, well, what are your outward inspirations for the things that you're making? Where where do you kind of gain inspiration or, or look to for inspiration? And then kind of a secondary question to that is how does that feed into your creative process? Or so like getting into the question now, what is your creative process? 
Yeah, so kind of just getting into our, I think our main inspiration is definitely Japanese Americana. We take a lot of inspiration from Capital. Um, I also just think denim is kind of a really ancient, um, almost yeah. underappreciated fabric. And so for the, for the people that don't understand, could you explain Japanese Americana? <clears throat> yeah, bit? so kind of, um, Nolan and I practice like a, traditional mending technique called sashiko and mm. what basically sashiko translates to in japanese is many steps um and it's basically the repetition of using one continuous strand to patch something patch a piece of denim mm. um and it kind of has Edo period japanese origins so we're talking late 18th century farmers were using denim as their kind of main sort of form of clothing for main th like three main reasons and those reasons were being that like it's antibacterial, super strong, and super cheap. So as clothes would wear down kind of naturally in the field, farmers would take kind of scrap pieces of denim and kind of re-piece their uniforms, what protected them from the sun and from the elements of rural Japan. Okay. Um, and I think samurai uh, like adapted this technique and it just has like a lot of history and we see like a lot of it in the Japanese Americana side of fashion right now, just as far as like in the sense of capital. But I think mm -hmm. it's also really kind of aligns with that storytelling mission that we were talking about earlier and just how something can be healed and then reborn. And the artist, the clothing itself is telling the story and then the artist interpretation of peeling or mending the piece is telling its own story. And then the wear. So like you can kind of almost think of like the idea of you know, sourcing something vintage, fixing it, and then someone new wearing it, mm. like three individual stories, which I, or it's like timelines, bloodlines, if you will. Right. I think that's pretty interesting. Is that sort of what's going on with your hat? Though? Yeah. So <laughs> this hat was like an eBay find a while ago. Um, yeah. And I kind of just wore it until it naturally faded and then wanted to kind of apply a little bit of the techniques we've picked up in the past couple of years. Yeah. There's, there's two main ones, right? So Sashiko is the first one and then there's Boro. 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 Okay. So Boro is just basically the repetition of Sashiko. Mm. So like once you start getting into like big tapestries and like much more mosaic and pieces being added onto the piece, it turns into Boro. Mm. I think a really good way to distinguish between the two is Sashiko is like more sort of like embellishment. And then mm -hmm. Boro is a little bit more utilitarian, like as far as application. So mm -hmm. like if you're doing Sashiko, it's a little bit, tends to be a little bit more beautiful and intricate. And then Boro is just as equally beautiful and intricate, but um, there's a little bit more intent behind like creating a structure. Yeah. And then another question just going off. And if I could jump in really quick, actually, no, yeah, before we it. hop on into something else, and I can tell you guys are kind of, you guys love materials and, and can nerd out about it probably for a while. Yeah. Are, is denim still antibacterial like that? Is that still something yeah. that yeah, so the, is a property? Yeah, so the cotton has like natural antibacterial properties. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Got it. So your jeans are generally cleaner than like a wool pair yeah, of pants or... And that's you really don't need to wash great jeans as much as you yeah. think you need to. Mm. I, the best way to kind of kill the bacteria, any like underlying bacteria on your jeans would just to be throw them in the freezer for a little bit. Yeah. But right. you really don't need to wash your jeans. No, well, because mm. washing almost takes away a lot of the wear that you put um, into jeans. I mean, you have raw denim, right? Yeah. So yeah. Wearing them right yeah. now. Yeah. 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 So... Unless yeah. you're like jeans smell bad, like you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably don't be caught out here with clothes, smelly yeah. jeans. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But yeah. No, and uh, I guess what I was gonna say before is, when when did that start? Just a little history on on that. When did that start getting integrated into like fashion? Uh, you mentioned that it was a a mending technique, right? When did this start to become 
something that um, was involved in fashion. So, yeah, I can talk a little bit about capital. I yeah, mean, if you'd like to. So, and maybe explain what capital is too for people that don't yeah, know. Yeah, so capital um, is a Japanese brand that have like takes really like heavy influence from denim and Americana. Started in 80s or 90s? Yeah, in the 80s, I believe, in Okayama. Okay. So the Okayama Prefecture, also known as the denim capital of Japan, is kind of, all these are U.S. machines. So all these denim machines are U.S. machines. Mm. Kind of during the Second World War, um, the U.S. didn't really find a need for producing as much denim as they were because they didn't have the raw indigo. Mm. Um, so they sent all of it to Japan. So now Japan has all these American-made machines and mm. are the denim like largest denim exporters in the world, mm. specifically in this Okayama Prefecture. Still to this day. Yeah. Mm. So um, denim in Japan is just crazy. And I think no one can go, like we've been super inspired by this one book called Amatora. Um, it's by David Marks, I believe. Mm. Um, okay. And it talks all about the relationship between Japanese and Americana and um, like kind of, and denims. And like, it's all, it talks all about its relation, like, the Japanese Americana relationship and denim and how it influenced like several separate. Um, no, yeah, it's yeah. everywhere now. I yeah. mean, it, it's influenced like thousands of brands. I mean, like mm -hmm. a lot of the denim that just people wear today, like unknowingly takes inspiration from from that kind of era. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's funny. Um, amateur, you like anybody who reads Amatura would pick this up, but um, people tend to think backwards. They're usually like Japan or the tastemakers, right? Like we're right behind Japan as far as like what's kind of creating the trends. Yeah. And for a so long time, um, we actually weren't, like Jack was talking earlier about how these, uh, a lot of these machines were like post-World War II sold to Japan. And that's kind of like um, Japan for a long time, their trends and styles have kind of operated. They're basically an interpretation of yeah. what people are wearing in America. Which is hilarious. I right. mean, a lot of their, uh, post-World War II, a lot of their culture was like that, right? Very I mean, similar to America. That's why and they picked up baseball, things like things right, in, in Japanese right. culture are very heavily influenced by the US coming over after World War II <laughs> and um, setting up bases and stuff like that. It was a lot of the youth. A lot of the youth in Japan right. was was like very invested in like what was going on in America and like they were buying these magazines and having them shipped overseas. Um, but even pre-World War II, um, if you look at styles in Japan, it was very, it was like almost a was an interpretation of like Ivy League style and like how they perceived these Americans to dress. Mm -hmm. And um, it was funny, they'll tell you in the book. Do you remember the name of, of the uh, of Van? The the creators of Van? No, I, it's missing me at the moment. Regardless, um, the creators of Van, who's like kind of like this institutional clothing brand in Japan for kind mm. of bringing forward this American style and this Ivy League style, um, you know, these are like two people that started this clothing company. They spend so much time kind of researching what this Ivy League style looks like and what this Americana um, theme uh, presents itself. And they get to America, they save up all this money and stuff, and they get to America and they realize they were wrong, completely wrong about how Americans were dressing. So they've literally been peddling like these editorials to all these teenagers about like what it's like dressing in America. It was all false. So then like they come back to America and they're like, well shit, like now we have to like kind of stick true to the mission. And they, you know, and they kind of continue with the Ivy League style, and then obviously more of the European designers like that everybody's familiar with, yeah. like Izemayaki and and Janja Watanabe and mm -hmm. Conde Garcon. Um, they all kind of like, 
kind of take over van and the whole Ivy League style is done and then it's very European, very avant-garde, avant very yeah, like yeah. all black and that's kind of what we know true is to like with Japanese fashion nowadays. Um, oh yeah, 100%. Yeah, so. That's cool. Sorry, that was a lot of information. No, no yeah, that's, that's, that's super awesome. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have to check out that book. Uh, sure. Jumping, so guys, okay, so staying in the lane of inspiration, so uh, one of the outfits that you guys had for the Circular Fashion Expo was the uh, Who Burns Who Men's outfit. And it seemed like there was uh, other things out, like a political messaging behind that and things that were kind of outside the realm of just fashion. Where do you guys see your inspirations coming from outside of fashion or outside of Americana or in those things? Like, what are you guys interested generally in and how does that influence what you guys create and how you think about clothes and Yeah, and you, even create? more, how do you go about conveying messages um, that, you know, especially in, in, the, in the expo, like the the what you put together was like amazing and it definitely mm -hmm. spoke volumes and i just want to know like what was your inspiration for that as well mm -hmm. yeah so for who burns who mends it was kind of an exercise of experimenting with the nation's symbol so mm -hmm. that being our flag um we knew we wanted to the theme for the expo being light versus dark and we wanted to explore that theme kind of with the nation's symbol being our canvas so Nolan and I got like pretty intimate with this flag. We were on both sides of the table, kind of just like like burning holes in it, kind of making little patterns, and then reintroducing new pieces of fabric, like rebuilding it and um, putting it back together. And this like kind of dialogue hit me, and uh, I was sit sitting there working on the flag and like thinking like as I just like burned it, um, kind of thinking about what in our it was kind of just like an overall dialogue of like what in our nation is putting holes in the flag and then like who are we choosing to like put these like mend these holes and put them back together um mm -hmm. and it just like that's kind of how i interpreted the piece um i think as far as like taking inspiration um like from what we take inspiration from we've been recently inspired a lot by our environment just nolan and i have gotten like a ton of plants in our crib now so yeah. we've been like super into just ecology in general mm -hmm. um so we can talk like a little bit more about the second piece yeah hence the um water once a week <laughs> that was kind of like our blend into like ecology and um or the intersection between um ecology and fashion mm -hmm. um i was particularly inspired by paula escalana had showed it to jack and then like um kind of just been inspired by that intersection in itself. And if anybody's not familiar, Paula Escalana um, did a lot of work with, I think it was wheatgrass, but um, basically what she had done is she had made like little pockets with like propagation holes in them. And then that mm -hmm. allowed the wheatgrass to kind of grow and take shape into a garment. Um, our approach was like a little bit more like, um, you know, with like, with like any of this stuff in like classes, you gotta like plan out your projects. You got like two weeks to work on it. So we mm -hmm. had to like pick up the pace. Um, so it was like sewing moss directly onto the jacket and it was like weaving the ivy by hand. And um, now it's in a grow tent. I don't know how, but we've kept it alive. It's like, <laughs> yeah, we've been pretty good about it. That's um, sick. You've been watering uh, it once a week? or been watering it once a week, yeah, <laughs> no. Um, it's, it's definitely, uh, it was definitely a fun experiment. I think both of the pieces together are kind of like a really good, both between like Americana and um botany and ecology specifically i think that it's a pretty good like kind of um summary of what we've been inspired by lately in our brand we thought the two pieces next to each other was like okay this is bad for your health in its current state um so we were pretty happy with them cool i think you touched on a little bit but i mm -hmm. like the i'd like to maybe dive into like your planning process for mm -hmm. stuff like this what does that what does that look like even for just like um 
I mean, we'll probably get into like what their process looks like for a collection, but maybe we could just dive into that now. I think what's your planning process like for you, kind of any of this stuff? Do you want the truthful answer? Or do you, <laughs> yeah, I think we should give them the truth. I think it's pretty spontaneous. Like, yeah. I, I truly think it's like yeah. very much a burst of creativity. And I think ideas have expiration dates. Mm. Um, I think just like anything, once you sit on an idea long enough, new ideas start to flood in and they start to come in. Not that one idea is more important than the other, but mm. they'll kick each other out. Yeah. And I think the ability to like something strikes you, something inspires you, whether it's something you see online or a friend you talk to, whatever it is, mm. like being able to just act on that spontaneous kind of burst of inspiration and just like start on the piece like whether it whatever it is or even how much you start on it just like that initial first step and just getting that do you have like an example of like when that would have occurred for, for you guys or uh, for like any do you have just, a project in mind just kind of um i don't know like any any of the collections that uh you guys have made like is there something that initiated right the so, idea or the theme Specifically regarding the collections, the thought process that we used to take and like the steps we used to take towards their development is kind of antiquated in our eyes now. Like we don't really like kind of um, approach collections from that point of view. Because you guys have eight collections at this point, right? Or right. Seven yeah. Or and a lot of yeah. those previous collections were pretty disorganized, if I'm going to be honest. And mm -hmm. like it was kind of just like we'd like make some graphics we like and kind of just throw them on stuff. And then like none of it was really thought out or methodical. And then once we had all the pieces laying out, we came up with like a loose way to describe all of them and group them up into a collection. And I think now we're trying to be a little bit more intentional with our design and a little bit more methodical about our approach, um, which means we're taking more time and we're like actually integrating some of our inspirations into what we release. Um, we love the one of one stuff, but um, specifically regarding like how we approach collection making in the future, um, we've delegated design. We, we've been much better recently about delegating tasks to each other mm -hmm. and making sure that like we can actually fulfill and um, deliver a collection that relies on all of our you know, like talents and stuff like that mm -hmm. um as far as actionable steps though i mean it's it's design when you're designing a t-shirt or a graphic for a t-shirt it's it's designed when you're drawing up the uh the patterns for it um it's you know a lot of like hand labor and and then stuff yeah. but a lot of it isn't really quantifiable like there's no like this week we work on this and this week we work on this little bit easier to figure that out once we get closer to kind of where the deadline is we have done checklists before but um a lot of it is like what jack said it's like pretty spontaneous from beginning to end mm. yeah. yeah got it i mean that kind of makes me think we we actually just did an episode on routine um released yesterday but do you find areas of consistency between the way you work on different projects and collections like you know you just described your idea, your ideation process is like in burst, right? Um, is there any sort of consistency in terms of like workflows or things like that between collections or does it change every time? I would say like once we get the ground idea for what we want to pursue, it's kind of just organizing time with each other. And we, I think Nolan and I kind of, unless we inform each other, we'd kind of just expect that we're going to be in the studio that night and like mm. the lights are going to be on and the machines are going to be running and we're just going to be like working on whatever we're working, whatever's on the checklist. Mm. So I think a lot of it is just, okay, we formed what we're going for and now it's just like, let's, let's get as much time together as we can and like really crank something out because like I said, things will go still, especially when it comes to fashion and things are moving way quicker than what you're expecting them to yeah no yeah um, you kind of have to move really quickly when it comes to fashion because um i think 
kind of even justifying my own feelings. You sit at a machine with this piece for like 70 plus hours. You know, right. you've like spent a lot of time on it. You start to get sick of it a little bit, just like anything, like just like mm -hmm. a painting that would take, you know, over a hundred hours for an artist. And you're just kind of like, oh, I just want this to be done. Or you like want to go start on something else on the rack and you just have to, you know, Hunker down. It, it still oh, feels yeah. like it still feels like I'm creating, I'm enjoying this, and it feels great to be like making something physical. Um, and that's like a completely separate tangent. I feel like we can cover that next. But um, yeah, I think you just have to get that small victory. And um, as far as like creative process, kind of coming back to what Sherrod said, um, I think these when you're like enjoying that process and you're really there, and like a mistake pops up, I think those mistakes are like the best thing that can happen mm. to an artist of like this sort because they're kind of just your true ambition and your artistry kind of shining through. And I really think people should like listen to those happy accidents mm. and use them kind of as a manifestation of their true artistry. Yeah. Not to mention we're like equipped to deal with accidents. Right. Like that's our industry. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or like that's our, that's our niche is yeah. like we equipped. Sasha Gomez. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We fix things. Happy yeah. mistakes. And that definitely applies like across on a little bit of a tangent, but that applies like in science, people do that too. Like they'll, in a pharmaceutical lab, they'll accidentally, they'll like try to maximize the amount of mistakes they make. So they'll like discover a new drug or stuff like that. So it's cool that you guys kind of take those in stride and use them as inspiration instead of trying to, you know, go completely start over yeah, or sure. anything from that scratch. Yeah. So um, I think then moving into a little bit as people that are running you know, like as students and people that are running a brand and people that are entrepreneurs in college, how do you guys go about balancing school and the brand? How do you guys think about school? How has that kind of helped you with your brand? Or yeah, how do you guys just generally think about school? Time's bad for your health. We're advertising students. Um, mm -hmm. And I would like to think that we apply a lot of the curriculum curriculum we learn to our um, business. Mm -hmm. um, I would also like to think that uh, running a business has taught us a little bit more than we've learned in our classes. I'm not making a jab at the curriculum here. It's amazing. It's great. It's mm -hmm. taught us a lot. Um, but I would recommend to anybody that's in advertising, if you're a student entrepreneur, I think that it's a really good exercise of the skills that you learn in advertising. Um, we talked about earlier how uh, advertising in a broader sense has affected the way we perceive our clothing and in a sense our own work. And I, I would say that holds true. I think that um, the way in which we think about how our consumers react with our brand, the way in which consumers react with our products, um, and like how they react both with the intangible and tangible aspects of the brand, and how we do as well, and uh, all of that goes into you know your content creation, how Jack styles the photography, or how mm -hmm. I do a graphic, or how yeah, it all it all is 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 heavily dependent on on advertising and and mm -hmm. other people's perception. Yeah, I could totally see the work you guys put into, like your advertising is very, is distinct, it's clean, it's like you guys have a very good yeah. brand behind Bad yeah. For Your Health, and I could see where your education would come into that, and where just kind of the thoughtfulness outside of school also comes into that for sure. Appreciate that. Thank uh, yeah. you. 100%. Yeah. I think another question that I just personally have is, mm -hmm. you said that you guys started this, the two of you in your dorm room. Mm -hmm. How would you say, like what roles are there now outside of you two, and you know, what's that like? having you know like seven people on the team filing taxes yeah. <laughs> like actually having to like track your expenses is like a pretty boring new role <laughs> yeah. yeah but yeah. um if you want to elaborate on like some of the more of the creative aspects that we kind of yeah um 
and the mundane is totally welcome too. Like mundane. Anything okay, that you guys let's have. talk about Notion yeah. then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So using t- like Notion to like organize the brand is really helpful. Just kind of having that central kind of platform for everyone to look at and just know what our list is and like oh, yeah. what needs to get done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's great. Kind of like bouncing off of what Nolan said earlier. Delegate delegation of tasks is extremely important, especially when you're running like a tightly knit operation in the sense like a fashion label like um everything visual and everything like garment conceptualize is going to be in the end product and that yeah. just needs to be tight um right. so there's an, and kind of like when you're working with these crazy time compression speeds on caused by TikTok and the fashion kind of world just kind of going crazy and all trends just accelerating no matter what it is mm-hmm. <laughs> um it's, it's those those days are kind of really important and it's kind of really important to just get on the same page with your team um it seems kind of quite obvious but notion is probably the best way to do that for someone of our size probably just touching on like specific roles i would say that jack has kind of taken the like head of like photography mm. at this point kind of like the creative direction on the photography front um i'm kind of like sticking where i'm comfortable with like all the graphics and stuff like that and kind of organizing the the post for Instagram and stuff. And then um, we have Rusty, Rusty Green, who's also Russell Green. I'm not sure if you preferred the nickname on something <laughs> formal like this, but um, I'm just gonna start that over. <laughs> and we have Rusty Green, who is uh, our graphic designer. Uh, Rusty takes a lot, like on a lot of the graphic design initiatives that we give him. Um, he was like just really like helpful and sort of like communicating our brand graphically and just thinking about new ideas that we can turn imagery into graphics on the screen or on a t-shirt was he someone that was on board since the beginning or how did you figure out that he was like a right fit for bad for your health we met him sophomore year he had his own brand that he was working on called schadenfreude yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and um kind of had the same sort of messaging as bad for your health and he just thought he we just thought he fit our taste so we brought him on board and he's been a, like very valuable asset ever since okay okay yeah and cool. what is that like for the other people that you have bring on board like is it the same kind of selection process like how do you re like how do you realize that someone has you know the same kind of taste as bad for your health that's i mean that's, that's like the there. hardest thing is yeah. that like bad for your health is so much just jack and i's taste and we are mm-hmm. both very like lucky to have met each other and share such similar palette um and it's very hard to find somebody else that kind of fits into that. Um, with that being said, it has been difficult to find like other designers, so we tend to not look for them because uh, a lot of them don't really fulfill our needs. Uh, with that being said, we are looking for a financial advisor. So if a homie who's really good with numbers, oh, sorry, no clapping. Um, <laughs> if a homie's really good with numbers and he wants to work for uh, a, a small in-house design studio, hit our line. Cool, we could probably hook you up. We're both in the business school, so no, yeah. we've got a lot of friends yeah, yeah, on that front. Yeah. Um, we're creatives. We don't, like, manage, like, we don't, we're not really good analytically. But. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys got it going on? Yeah. Another thing I think we're really interested to, to hear is, like, where where is this going? Like, you know, you guys, you guys are both graduating, right, next right. semester. What does the future of Bad for Your Health look like? And then I guess, like, my main question is, like, is this – like your job past college, like is this your main um, focus past college? So I would like it to be, but yeah. the reality is that Nolan and I are both like looking for full-time positions out of college. We think we both want to break into creative agencies. Mm. That's kind of what we want to do with advertising. 
Um, and I think putting ourselves in a position to get that salary to supplement our business, mm -hmm. will we ever stop working on bad for your health? Absolutely not. I think bad for your health will take periodic intermissions to like allow its creators to, you know, become financially stable, yeah. or, <laughs> you know, get their head screwed on straight. But I, I don't think, I mean, unless one of us dies or we stop being friends, I don't think we'll ever stop working on the label itself. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, that's definitely, I think a lot of these ideas are probably applicable to a lot of people in college that are thinking about their ideas and, and going forward or what whatnot after college. Like I know uh, anecdotally the Warby Parker founders when after college they went to, they were at UPenn and they had, um, they all had like stable jobs after college. They weren't willing to give it up and Warby Parker blew up shortly after that and they all like quit their jobs and went into it. But them being safe in the first place was uh, like a... Uh, it was, it was like a catalyst. It allowed them. It was a catalyst, them. and it was like a it was a sign of them as a person. Like they were able to run their brand better because they were safe and because they were yeah, able to yeah. like think through and be cautious about that. So I really like the guys' yeah, approach yeah. that you guys are taking, and also the passion. I'm sure it's not going to be something that you guys give up anytime soon. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, yeah. Like yeah. if your health is like a reflection of like everything we love about like you know what we're influenced by, and ultimately like what we love about our friendship, and mm -hmm. that's not going to go anytime soon. And hopefully, we can find jobs that. Not even hopefully, like we're gonna find jobs that hopefully supplement that. Right, yeah, I think that's uh, really cool. It, it feels like it's almost like a window into like you guys' relationship and um, I love that. I think that's like, yeah. really cool. It's kind of yeah. a full circle thing too. Like we're both breaking the industry, both kind of met in advertising, no, introduction yeah. to advertising. And right. yeah, I say that to him a lot, kind of we have full circle moments, it seems like quite For a, sure. more than we think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. We've spent yeah. like a significant amount of time, like, you know, working together over the past three years and like to just have this project, it's like to look at the B and like what it means to us is like pretty dope. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're putting that much blood sweat with like a homie into like one specific. Especially story. looking back, you guys have the full record of all the collections and the photographs and the yeah, actual pieces. Right. And that's really cool. Yeah. That's cool. No, we remember making all of them like, yeah, every stitch. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you think it's allowed you to meet um i mean you know obviously you've met all the people that have helped you work on it but what about you know the consumer base that you've you've kind of developed like the customer base right do you think it's allowed you to meet uh, or i'll rephrase my question have you like met the target audience that you intended would you say i think when you're on your way to class walking past someone you have no idea who they are <laughs> and you don't recognize at all, but mm -hmm. they're wearing your hoodie or they're wearing your t-shirt is a really cool feeling. Yeah. No. And when you're on a college campus, it really makes you feel like you tapped into like who you needed to tap into and the people who would enjoy your brand have found you. Yeah. But um, as far as like a college campus, I think like after so many years, the people who have found you find you. And mm -hmm. um, I think now we've kind of, we're in the stage where we're, not quite ready still, but we're look, looking for a bigger city to kind of adapt our audience. But also, you know, you can adapt in an audience anywhere in today's age. Yeah. It doesn't really matter where 100%. the studio is located. So. Oh, yeah. There was, um, you guys, you guys, oh, was it, was it you guys that said that you were in New York and uh, mm -hmm. someone asked about the, the sticker or something like no, that? No, we had a friend. So our old roommate, Jack Pompey. Oh, okay. Um, he was yeah, at a club yeah. in New York City and he was leaving the club and someone recognized he he had these pilot these flight pants that we had created on and um 
someone got someone from New York City got an advertisement <laughs> and followed us and then recognized Pompey wearing the pl- the pants. <laughs> and they were just like, oh my God, is that bad for your health? And we're like, whoa, that's like a crazy little yeah. fold there. That That is wild. Oh, again, because, that's, yeah. You know, if we were some, you know, big brand, it'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Like, right. The or whatever. But yeah. like that, that gave us like, we heard that and we we're like, wow, that gave us like a little bit of, no, yeah. of inspiration. It like, scaled up from exactly what you're talking about. I mean, one day you're going to be walking through whatever big city and someone's going to walk past you wearing your clothing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's an amazing feeling. Almost like better than, not almost, definitely better than any sort of like monetary, like, oh, yeah. Like seeing somebody appreciate something you made, like truly appreciate is like a, a pretty priceless feeling. Yeah. Even I, I heard that story when you, I think one of you guys told me that at one point and I was glowing after hearing that. It's <laughs> just, just being yeah. second and living through it. So, yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. Before we kind of start uh, a little bit of a wrap up, is there anything else you guys want to talk about uh, that we have the platform to go on? Let's consult the book. <laughs> yeah, go <laughs> more. Really, we didn't really cover this. Oh, yeah, I think we should. I think that that's, yeah, I, yeah. I want you to talk about that. So kind of jumping back a little bit, um, thinking about core inspiration, a, a route I really like to think about is, or what I try to take a step back and think about is like what makes me envious. Mm. Um, so whether it's what I see online or just like in my environment or just seeing other people doing cool things, like I want to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think like listening to those thoughts and not like getting angry or insecure at them and like listening to those thoughts, adapting to them and kind of emulating them. But, you know, of course, with your own interpretation of the thought itself, Mm. I think we should really, I think we generate our generation generation z has become like envious of a lot of things they see online and like almost angry and whether that like causes them to like leave a hate comment or just unfollow or blah 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 whatever <laughs> i think Twitter um, demons. A lot, i think if a, a lot of people would benefit from like turning that envy into just emulating it and adapting it um because yeah i think that that shows like truly like yourself like what you could be and what you want to be you just need to listen to that jealousy is like a very powerful feeling and you're absolutely capable of channeling jealousy Hmm. um and it doesn't need to be uh, there's a negative connotation association negative connotation associated with envy and jealousy and it doesn't have to be negative you know you can be inspired by something and be like i want to achieve that yeah and then obviously do so with like into artistic integrity and do so like with your own ideas and then but um all art is interpretation and it's all influenced by each other and that and it evolved by jealousy you know somebody saw something they were like i want to do that i think that's actually probably a pretty good place to tie it up i think that's kind of a takeaway that everyone can take tangibly like if you see something you like feel free to go after it but be jealous be jealous (laughs) be toxic (laughs) seriously and then go do something about it yeah exactly do something that's bad for your health i guess (laughs) (laughs) roll credits yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. We'll Let's wrap it, it up. Is. That's Thanks bad for, for your health guys. time. Service tension. Thank you guys for hopping on. This was a really, I really enjoyed the conversation. I was glad to hear more about your guys' brand. I feel like I knew some things at a surface level, but now I feel like I know a lot more of your inspirations in the creative process. I'm no, sure. Yeah. Sure same the same way. Uh, a bit of a history lesson too. So yeah. Yeah. Thank Seriously. you for facilitating it though. For real. Yeah. Oh, no. A pleasure. No problem. A pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Super cool. Cool. Hey everyone. Thank you to those of you that made it to the end. We really appreciate you. I want to give a special shout out to Jack and Nolan for hopping on the podcast and their social medias should be at bad for your health on Instagram. You can probably just look them up as well. 
And as usual, all of our updates on episodes and kind of just on me and Grant will be posted on our social media, surfacetension.pod. And you can look us up on Spotify and Apple Music. 